Before we get to there, you know, there are some times where we will maybe refer to something as obedience when, you know, really it's not obedience at all. You know, I can think of, you know, probably one of the biggest problems um, that, that I deal with is getting my children to clean their room. Right? And maybe you have this problem as well, or maybe you did when you were raising children, but kids hate to clean their room. You know, I think they would rather be punished than to clean their room. You know, and so sometimes you'll say, well, hey, listen, go clean your room. And they'll say something to the effect of, well, how many items do I need to pick up? 10, 20, 30? Well, no. When I say go clean your room, that means to do it in its totality, right? Uh, then maybe you go in there after they say, well, I've cleaned my room. You can go ahead and check it. And you go in there and, well, there's stuff pushed under the rug. There's stuff under the bed, stuff shoved in the closet. Again, that's not the idea of cleaning your room. You know, put your clothes on the hanger, put the things back in your shelves, clean it completely. The child has the idea that partial obedience is, is obedience. But listen, it's not obedience. Uh, partial obedience is not obedience. It's a uh, matter of fact, it's full blown disobedience. And that's what we're going to study here this morning from a lesson from second Samuel chapter six. Listen, God knows when we're playing games with him and we need to be those who obey the Lord to the fullest. You know, there, again, there's this interesting story in second Samuel chapter six in reference to the Ark of the Covenant. Now, again, is this exactly how it looked? Maybe not, but we get the picture of the Ark of the Covenant. And remember, there's two arcs in the Bible that we're familiar with, right? There's Noah's Ark, which, of course, was this great big structure. But the, the Ark that we're talking about this morning is the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant, a chest made out of wood overlaid with gold. Um, its dimensions was about three and three-fourths quarter tall or feet tall, um, two and a quarter wide and, and um, deep. And, uh, you know, just think of this Lord's Supper table. You know, you kind of get the dimensions of maybe just how big this table was or this, this chest was. And if you recall, this Ark of the Covenant had these two golden rings on each side. Uh, you can kind of see that there where these poles would be pushed through. And they were told that they were to carry this ark, carry this chest on these, these golden poles. And only certain people could do it. Right? You had to be of the Levitical priesthood. And you had to be of the family of the Kohathites to actually do the carrying around of this Ark of the Covenant. And of course, no one could touch the ark as well. And we'll see that in a moment. But the ark, we're told in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 4, contained some things over the, its period of time. Number one, it had a, a golden jar of manna, which again uh, referenced the, the times that God sustained them in the wilderness. Uh, and it had Aaron's uh, rod, which budded. And of course, that was a remembrance of them, of the rebellion that happened in the wilderness. And then it contained those two tablets of stone, which, which the Ten Commandments were written on. Those were the items that were within the Ark of the Covenant. And the lid of the Ark of the Covenant was known as the mercy seat, right? the throne of God. And these two cherubims, these two angelic beings on top of it, again, outlaid in gold. And the high priest, every year when he would go into the Holy of Holies, would sprinkle the blood on this Ark of the Covenant, doing that on the Day of Atonement to ask for forgiveness of the sins of the people. That's sort of a quick history lesson of the Ark of the Covenant. You remember what Paul said in Romans chapter 15, verse 4? Whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction so that through perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. These things in the Old Testament were written for you and I to learn from. 
And so we're going to learn a lesson this morning in the nature of obedience, what God demands of us and what man uh, also their nature when it comes to obedience. And again, there are challenges when it comes to that. And so, uh, you know, sometimes, again, we call things obedience when it really wasn't. And so uh, let's turn to Second Samuel chapter six and we'll notice here a few things. Now, again, the Ark of the Covenant. In the wilderness, when it was uh, when it was told by God to uh, design it, to build it, you know, it traveled from place to place. And again, there were only certain individuals who could who could carry it in the wilderness. But eventually, at some point, uh, we know that the the Ark of the Covenant was stolen by the Philistines. You remember that back in First Samuel chapter five, where they stole the Ark of the Covenant and they brought it back to those Philistine cities. And uh, all of a sudden, the Philistines they started getting these tumors on their bodies. Right? And so they would pass it to one city, they'd give it to another Philistine city, then the same thing would happen to them, and they'd pass it on to another Philistine city, to the point that the Philistines said, listen, we've got to get this out of here. We've got to give this back to, to God's people. And so they give the Ark of the Covenant back to the Israelites, and it happens to stay in the house of this man by the name of Abinadab for some 60 years. The, 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 the Ark just stays there. But when David becomes king, when David comes on the scene... He's going to build a house for the ark, a tent, if you will, a structure, and he wants to bring it to Jerusalem. So here we are in 2 Samuel chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. It says that now David again gathered all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000, and David arose and went with all the people who were with him to Baal Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name, the very name of the Lord of hosts who is enthroned above the cherubim. They placed the ark of God on a new cart that they might bring it from the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. And Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, were leading the new cart. So they brought it with the ark of God from the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill, and Ahio was walking ahead of the ark. And meanwhile, David and all the house of Israel were celebrating before the Lord with all kinds of instruments made of firwood and the lyres, harps, tambourines, castanets and cymbals. So you get the idea right here, right? Uh, David says, I want to bring this ark to Jerusalem. I want to bring it to the temple. And so they go and they retrieve it at this man's house. Now, uh, the, this location uh, of Abinadab's home, we know was about 15 miles away from Jerusalem. So it wasn't just an easy trip, you know, across town. It was about 15 miles away that they were going to have to travel and bring it back. And again, carrying something uh, the size of maybe this communion table here, right here, you know, that's a task to carry that over tough terrain. But did we notice when we read that, that what they did was they had a new cart, right? They had a new cart constructed. They, they tied some oxen to it and they put that Ark of the Covenant on that cart and made its way back to Jerusalem. And the people, they are excited. They're celebrating but notice what happens here, starting in verse 6. But when they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah reached out towards the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen nearly upset it. And the anger of the Lord burned against Uzzah, and God struck him down there for his irreverence, and he died there by the ark of God. And David became angry because of the Lord's outburst against Uzzah, and that place is called Perez Uzzah to this day. So David was afraid of the Lord that day, and he said, How can the ark of the Lord come to me? And David was unwilling to move the ark of the Lord into the city of David with him. But David took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. 
Thus, the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, three months, and the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. So they're, they're pushing this, uh, this cart, right? Uh, these oxen are pulling this cart towards Jerusalem. And at some point, the oxen stumble. And Uzzah, this man Uzzah, uh, he, he, he puts up his hands to sturdy it, to catch it so that it doesn't fall. And he's struck dead. Right? Out of good motives, uh, out of good intentions and concern for this cherished item, he died. Uh, David moved the ark, of course, uh, to the, we're told here to the house of Obed-Edom for three months because he's angry. Uh, he's angry, but he's mad at God. And so it's going to sit there for about three months. I'm going to turn real quickly to First Chronicles chapter 15 here for a moment because we get a little bit extra to the story, a little bit uh, a better uh, emphasis of what's going to happen afterwards for, during this period of uh, three months. But in First Chronicles chapter 15, it says, Now David built houses for himself in the city of David, and he prepared a place for the ark of God and pitched a tent for it. And then David said, No one is to carry the ark of God but the Levites. For the Lord chose them to carry the ark of God and to minister to him forever. And David assembled all Israel at Jerusalem to bring up the ark of the Lord to its place, which he had prepared for it. And David gathered together the sons of Aaron and the Levites and the sons of Kohath. And then I drop down to verse 13, and it says, as David is speaking to the, the Levites, to the priests, he says, Because you did not carry it at the first, the Lord our God made an outburst on us, and we did not seek him according to the ordinance. So the priests and the Levites consecrated themselves to bring up the ark of the Lord God of Israel. And the sons of the Levites carried the ark of God on their shoulders with the poles thereon, as Moses had commanded according to the word of God. So the Bible tells us that during that period of three months, David calms down. Right? He calms down. He, he takes a, a collection of what just time, what just happened. He processes the information and it comes to his uh, mind that, hey, we didn't do it right the first time. Uh, God was angry at us, with us. Right? The ark had to be carried by poles, right? not this cart. They were instructed to carry it by poles. The Kohathites had to carry it. Uzzah wasn't a Kohathite. David wasn't a Kohathite. Uh, none of those who, who uh, attempted to bring the ark to Jerusalem were Kohathites. And of course, uh, the, the biggest one of all, they were not to touch the ark of the covenant. God warned them not to touch it, but yet they did. And so David, he owns up to his mistakes here. And we're told in 1 Chronicles chapter 15 that he repents of what he has done uh, and he makes amends and he brings the ark back into its proper form to Jerusalem. Well, that, that's the story of the Ark of the Covenant bringing it to Jerusalem. And there's a lot of lessons that we can learn from this great story. Again, these things were written for our learning, for our instruction. And so let's talk about a few of these this morning. Let me give you a few points this morning. Number one, uh, I think this is probably the most obvious, but God demands strict obedience. Uh, we see that. We learn about that in this passage. You know, again, many think that God is not concerned about details, He's not detail-oriented, but God is. You know, I think many of us sometimes have the wrong image of God, right? right? That, that, that he's this, and maybe we take it from Hollywood, of this gray-haired figure who, who's, you know, up in heaven, and he's just, oh, boys are going to be boys. But, but God demands obedience. We learn that from this passage. You know, and I know that people don't like that word in this culture, 
right? Obedience. And when we think of obedience, that we must submit to, you know, those in the workplace. Or maybe, uh, you know, we submit to those in the church. And again, people do not like that word. Uh, even submitting to God himself, people uh, will not uh, like that word. Uh, Brenton just read to us First uh, Samuel chapter 15. Not part of our story this morning, but the reason why I brought that text up was because uh, Samuel told King Saul. Remember, King Saul was told by God to d- just completely destroy the Amalekites, com- destroy them all, destroy all of their goods, uh, the, their, their bounty, just everything, all their animals, utterly destroy everything that they have. And did King Saul do that? He didn't, did he? Uh, he kept the king, Agag, alive. Uh, he kept some of the good uh, produce and some of the good uh, animals alive for, for, for treasure for themselves. And Samuel comes to King Saul and he says, through the inspiration of God, to obey is better than sacrifice. You know, again, think of David. Why ignore the commands on how to transport that ark? I suppose maybe they were thinking, you know, this is going to be a lot of hard work. It's going to be a lot of hard work to get this, this, uh, this Ark of the Covenant back 15 miles to Jerusalem. But this, again, the, this story here this morning reminds us that God means what he says. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. I know this is a passage I often uh, talk about, but, uh, but again, Jesus uh, says there, uh, he who does not follow the will of the Father, right? Uh, whoever says, Lord, the Lord, um, <clears throat> does not call on his name. Uh, those uh, are going to be those who, who are not going to see uh, eternal heaven. He, Hebrews chapter 5, verse 9. Again, uh, the author there says that Jesus, Jesus is the author of salvation to all of those who obey him. Again, obedience. The salvation is for those who obey him. You know, uh, you, we can remember, again, uh, hearkening on maybe being a parent of maybe when you're going to a street corner with your child and you say, hey, give me your hand. Right, give me your hand because, you know, the traffic is going to be uh, a little dangerous. And so you say, give me your hand and they pull back, don't they, sometimes and say, no, 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 uh, let me do it. I, I can do it on my own. But, you know, as parents, we've got to, um, you know, we've got to, you know, demonstrate that, hey, listen, this is important. You know, if I say hold my hand, you hold my hand. Right? We've, we've got to instill obedience in them at such a young age. Uh, I want you to notice this passage here that I got here up on the board. Deuteronomy chapter 21. Maybe this isn't a passage that maybe you've ever read before. Because uh, we don't often study the book of Deuteronomy. The second law. Uh, but, but Deuteronomy chapter 21. I want you to notice here what Moses says about obedience. I mean, this is important. Uh, Again, this is of the Jewish nation. And he says here in Deuteronomy 21, starting in verse 18, If any man has a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey his father or his mother, and when they chastise him, he will not even listen to them, then his father and mother shall seize him and bring him out to the elders of his city at the gateway of his hometown. They shall say to the elders of his city, "Uh, This son of ours is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey us. He is a glutton and a drunkard. And then all the men of the city shall stone him to death. So you shall remove the evil from your midst. And all Israel will hear of it and, and fear. You know, did you, did you, 
understand what this passage is saying? Uh, Moses, again, uh, is saying here that, listen, if you're going to allow that spirit of disobedience to, um, to channel and to uh, be allowed in these young children's lives, then when they grow up, they're not going to listen to you and they're not going to listen to uh, the authorities in the land. And so it's going to affect their relationship with God. It's going ref- ref- to affect their relationship with society. So train them up, he says. But again, the world says, listen, don't worry about those golden poles. Don't worry about those golden rings. God's bigger than those things, and and he's not going to care. But maybe, just maybe, have you ever thought that he's putting your obedience to the test? You know, sometimes we'll say, well, well, I'm going to count on mercy. I'm going to count on mercy to cover my intentional disobedience. You know, it's funny, in Matthew chapter 16, verses 21 through 23, uh, an account uh, just so happens there where Jesus says to Peter and the other apostles, listen, I have to go to Jerusalem. I've got to go to Jerusalem and I've got to be, uh, you know, beaten by, by the chief's priests and the elders and, uh, and, and, and then I'm going to die and I'm going to go to the cross and after that I'm going to be resurrected. And Peter, if you remember, he rebukes him. He, he takes Jesus aside and rebukes him and says, God forbid it, Lord. This shall never happen to you. Now, in the Greek, what he's literally saying is to Jesus is mercy be upon you. Right? Jesus is saying, listen, I have to go. Now, this is my father's will. I have to go and die. But Peter says, appeal to God's mercy. Right? Uh, you don't have to do that, Peter or Jesus. Appeal to his mercy. Mercy be upon you. Well, do you remember what Peter, or excuse me, what Jesus replied to Peter? Get behind me, Satan. Right? Peter, in essence, is saying, don't worry about the strict obedience stuff. God will be merciful to you. But again, all those who follow in that camp, who have that, that sort of logical thinking in their minds, uh, Jesus said, just like the Peter, get behind me, Satan. And so this first point we want to notice from the Ark of the Covenant is God demands strict obedience. Number two, convenience does not trump the word of God. You know, we shouldn't care how inconvenient truth is, right? Truth is still truth. Again, 15 miles is a long way to carry an ark over heavy, um, you know, over tough terrain, rugged terrain. It's heavy. It's overlaid with gold. You know, maybe God didn't have that command in mind when, when he, uh, didn't, he didn't know that we were going to have to take it, you know, 15 miles. You know, sometimes we'll, sit, we'll try to justify ourselves like, ah, he won't care. You know, he didn't have that, he didn't have that command in mind uh, when we were going to try to travel 15 miles with it. But again, convenience does not trump the word of God, right? God said carry it. He said to carry it on poles, on shoulders. How many times do we try to substitute for convenience sake today. You know, we can think of those who will say, listen, I know baptism means immersion. I know that word means immersion, but it could be okay to just sprinkle some water on someone. It could be okay to just pour someone. Let's just substitute that. Well, no, God's word says immerse, be baptized, immersed in water. You know, someone might say, well, I know mechanical instruments in worship are, were never part of the New Testament church. I don't read about it in Scripture. And I know that really not, over, not only to a few hundred years ago, churches uh, you know, even employed musical instruments. But, you know, I think we could get a bigger crowd here if we had, you know, a guitar or a band up on stage. Well, again, convenience does not trump the word of God. God expects obedience and convenience cannot trump that. 
Uh, another lesson we learned from this is feelings do not determine truth. Now, we studied this about a month ago, so I'm not going to hearken on this point too much. But again, sometimes, you know, you know, our feelings sort of determine our truth. And that ought not to be. You know, the, those people, uh, David and those people, they were celebrating. They were having this great time until God's judgment fell upon them. Right? They were praising God. They were singing, dancing. They were as happy as they could be. They, they felt good about what they were doing. But again, they were wrong. And they didn't see the, the disaster that was about to happen. Proverbs 14 verse 12 tells us that there is a way that seems right to a man, but in its end is death. And so many feel good about their service of God and religion today, that they're doing good things and they base their salvation on how they feel. You remember that man by the name of Naaman in 2 Kings chapter 5? You remember Naaman, this Syrian army general who had leprosy? You remember him? And so um, he's got leprosy and there's a child in his home who says, hey, I know there's a man in Israel. There's a man of God who could cleanse you of this leprosy. And so, uh, and of course, this is Elisha, the prophet Elisha. And so Elisha finds out that this man's looking for him and Elisha summons him and he comes to him and he tells him, this is what you've got to do, right? Go and wash yourself in the Jordan seven times. Go and dip in the Jordan River seven times and you'll be cleansed of your leprosy. Do you remember how Naaman reacted to that? 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 11. But Naaman was furious, and he went away and said, Behold, I thought he will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hands over the place and cure the leper. You know, again, that's how a lot of people today react in religion. Well, I thought this was the way. Right? Naaman says, Well, I thought I could just go to any old river. You know, why has it got to be the Jordan River? Why can't I just stay in my own land and dip in that river? Why not you just come over and just you know, wave your hands over me and make me uh, clean, clean, cleanse me of my leprosy? Again, he thought one way, but his feelings did not determine his truth. He finally, of course, went and does what uh, Elisha tells him to do. And he goes and he dips in the Jordan seven times and he was cleansed of his leprosy. Again, friends, feelings do not determine truth. Uh, number four, the Ark of the Covenant lets us know that good intentions does not excuse disobedience. Again, think of Uzzah. Surely his intentions were good. No one would deny that. Yeah, they were good, but they weren't sufficient. David said, David was saying, I didn't mean for any of this to happen. Uh, this wasn't my intentions for Uzzah to, to die. You know, Saul of Tarsus had that same feeling, didn't he, when he was on trial in Acts chapter 23. He said, I lived my life with a perfectly good conscience up to this day as a Jew. Just imagine the scene of him going into these Christian homes and ripping the parents away from their children and sending them off to jail or even to death because they were practicing Christianity. I mean, that's what Saul of Tarsus was doing. He was sincere. Uh, he had good intentions because he was doing what he thought his God would want him to do. But of course, he was dead wrong. You know, Isaiah, or excuse me, Isaiah, Uzzah was not trying to show off in this instance. You know, it wasn't like Uzzah was saying, well, I know God said not to touch the ark, but hey, hey watch this. Uh, let's see if he's really watching. Right? That wasn't Uzzah's intentions at all. Uh, he saved it from possibly being destroyed. He did an honorable thing, a good thing, good intentions. But still... He was struck dead because of that, because he disobeyed God. 
You consider the actions of Lot's wife. We remember Lot's wife in Genesis chapter 19. As the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah are being destroyed behind her, she's told, get out of the city, do not turn around. But we recall that she does turn around. You know, she's got uh, possibly other children there. She's uh, son-in-laws, you know, people that she loves. And she turns around and looks. She's desperate. My children, my family. She wasn't high-handed rebellion and being rebellious to God. But what happened? She was turned into a pillar of salt because she disobeyed. And again, there's another great lesson for us from the Ark of the Covenant. Good intentions do not excuse disobedience. Number five, and this one's short, notice the goodness and severity of God. You know, Romans chapter 11, verse 22 is a, is a verse that, man, when I first heard a sermon on it, I have never forgotten this verse. Because in Romans chapter 11, verse 22, Paul writes, Behold then the kindness and severity of God. Uh, to those who obey him, he says, uh, you'll be blessed, uh, you, you'll receive God's kindness. But to those who disobey him, they are the objects of his wrath. You know, we don't like, again, uh, the idea of obedience. We don't like, again, the, the idea that God is a God of severity as well. But we're often reminded of what Jesus himself said in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 through 14. Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life. And there are few who find it. You know, we see that exactly playing out here in this account in 2 Samuel 6. Uzzah receives God's severity because he touched the ark. He disobeyed God. While the ark now stays in Obed-Edom's home for the next three months. Did you catch what it said there in 2 Samuel chapter 6, uh, verse, uh, verse, 12, or, yeah, verse, uh, uh, verse 11? It says, And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household while the ark was there with him. Again, notice the goodness and severity of God. And one more, one more lesson that we can learn from this account is let's learn from the actions of David. Learn from the attitude of David. Again, he's upset at first, right? He's angry. He's mad at God because of the consequences of sin. Yeah, this isn't fair. Uh, he was just trying to help. You know, David made this mistake, but he's upset with God. But then after a while, we notice that sort of humility kicks in with, with David uh, during those three months. He acknowledges that he was wrong. Again, uh, that verse I read a moment ago, 1 Chronicles 15, uh, verse 13 in particular. Because you did not carry it at first, speaking to the Kohathites, David said, The Lord our God made an outburst on us, for we did not seek him according to the ordinance. So the priests and the Levites consecrated themselves to bring up the ark of the Lord God of Israel. And the sons of the Levites carried the ark of God on their shoulders with the poles thereon, as Moses had commanded according to the word of the Lord. You know, David understood that he made a big mistake. And he repented of that mistake. He repented of his prior decision. And now he's got the Kohathites carrying the Ark of the Covenant. Now they're carrying it on these poles on their shoulders. They're doing it right. They even in verse 13 of 2 Samuel 16, or 2 Samuel 6 tells us that they offer a sacrifice to the Lord, you know, he's doing things now that are, are honoring God this time. He's not doing it on his own. And friends, again, that ought to be our attitude as well. Again, sometimes we reason, well, what difference does it make? Right, what, what difference does it make in religion, you know, whether we use um, fruit of the vine and unleavened bread or, or maybe a Coca-Cola and pizza? 
Sometimes we'll argue that, right? What difference does it make? You know, we can justify a lot of things, but these passages teach us that we need to learn to obey. If God's word says use uh, fruit of the vine and unleavened bread, then that's what we ought must do. And I know it's not easy, right? Sometimes we have to put away our selfishness and we have to be selfless. Sometimes it's inconvenient to follow truth, but following truth is always God honoring. And so point number six, humble yourself, repent, and do it right going forward. You know, again, you and I understand we do not live under the Old Testament law today. We don't live under the law of Moses. It's not our authority and religion. But Paul tells us a couple of times in the New Testament that it was written for our instruction. It was written for our learning. It's valuable for the children of God to understand its principles and to learn from it. And these things happen so that we can learn from this, especially... Uh, you know, in the instance of a, a lesson on obedience. And we, again, we've learned so much about the character of God from this lesson that obedience is serious business. Uh, that sometimes the obedience that we may offer is not obedience at all. Uh, the, and let us learn from David's mistake. Now, you might be thinking here at the end of the sermon that, wow, you know, you've been beating up on us all day, all morning long. But, but the point that I want to make this morning is that to understand that obedience to him should not be out of obligation. It shouldn't be checking a box. You know, I've got to be here at worship this morning to check a box, right? To make sure that people don't see that I'm, that I'm missing. But our obedience to God should ought to be out of our great love for him. That he died for our, our sins. That, that his blood was shed so that we could go to heaven. And that's why we want to follow him. And that's why we want to obey him. Again, there is no ark for us to carry or touch today, but there are commandments in the New Testament that we're either following, obeying, or ignoring. So that question we asked this morning is, how are we treating God's word? Mark 16, verse 16, Jesus says, He who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved, and he who has disbelieved shall be condemned. If you want to obey God this morning, do what he says. Be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. If you've never put Christ on in baptism, do that this morning. He says, believe and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. Start that relationship with God. Repent of your sins, confess him as Lord, and be baptized. Or this, may, this morning, maybe you're a Christian. Maybe you have been baptized. Maybe you have, uh, are part of the Lord's church. But this morning, uh, maybe you need to humble yourself this morning. You know, maybe you look at this lesson and say, listen, you know, I'm not following God as well as I should. I need to be more obedient to his word. I need to treasure his word more. You know, maybe this morning you need to go to him and ask for forgiveness. Uh, Maybe you want to ask for forgiveness from uh, the congregation here as well. Um, I say this all the time, but there's no better place to do that in front of your brothers and sisters in Christ who, 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 who can help you, uh, who can pray for you, who can encourage you. And if you have one of those needs this morning, listen, God will forgive you. Just go to him and he will forgive you. If we can help you this morning, please let us know as together we stand and sing the song of invitation.